there guys uh it's sunday in joburg and <clears throat> tomorrow's a work day and i have a bunch of people coming to the house to do construction work <laughs> so i'm dreading it i hate i hate having people in the house i love having visitors so i love having my friends in the house and i love i host people a lot whether it's hosting people for a party or friends coming over to hang out or family in town and you know needing a place to stay and I always wanted to open my house in that way so those aren't the people that I don't like having here <laughs> the people that I don't like having here are contractors and my helpers and gardener and you know they're necessary evils because they help me in huge ways at the house and they get stuff done but they disrupt my energy signature in my house in a significant way <laughs> and so it's always really hard on me energetically when they're around. Like I'm a very porous being energetically. I absorb a lot of energies around me. My primary way of under of perceiving what's happening in the world and gathering data is through this um, intuitive, nonverbal feeling type cognition. So I read energies. I read the energy in a room. That's why sometimes, like when I get into a room. I look around and there's always a part of the restaurant that I want to sit in. <laughs> and if I don't sit in that part of the restaurant, I'll be uncomfortable the whole time. And there's sometimes tangible reasons. Like I can say, I don't want to sit there because it's right by the toilet or it's right by the kitchen or it's right in an aisle. Or I want to sit there because of the way the sun is streaming in through the window and it just feels cozy. So that's the way that my cognition works. If you're curious about yours, human design is a great way to figure out what your individual cognition is. If anyone here is into human design, the part of your chart that you look at is your variables. And your cognition is determined by your uh, top left variable, which is, no, I think it's either top left or top or bottom left. Because it's either your digestion or your environmental variable that comes with a sense attached to it. And that sense is your cognition. Anyway, so it just throws off my cognition. And so I just end up feeling quite cloudy. My energy feels fragmented. I also have a lot of open centers in human design. And so um, I'm absorbing a lot of energies of other people. And it just disrupts my equilibrium. So whew, pray for me. It's going to be like two to three weeks of people in and out the house daily. And so that's going to be quite intense for me. Um, so I'm feeling a little <laughs> right now. Um, but I thought I'd come and record something about what I'm really going through live wire in my life. So um, let's just talk about suicide. I haven't talked about suicide in a big way, but no, no. Let me not go to the root cause. Let me tell the story top down. So what is ha or bottom up? What is happening in my life right now is I am feeling this big push to come out, right? It feels like I'm having a coming out and I've been calling it the emergence. And this emergence is following a dark night of the soul that I had last year. And there are many themes that this emergence is now challenging in me. So the interesting thing is that you know, the, the, our brains don't always understand the full story unless you're a maestro at life, in which case you're probably dead, 
or you're a very old soul and these are your final earth incarnations um but i i think and certainly for me although i'm an old soul in this lifetime certainly at every stage of growth i'm like okay that experience is done we can move on now but what i i never realized at the time is that that experience opens up the next experience like this layer of growth opens up the next layer of growth and we can feel the sense of relief when we overcome a hurdle a growth hurdle right so one of my big hurdles growth hurdles in life has been how do i stay here so i've i've had lots of i mean my soul picked a lot of things to work on in this lifetime bless my overachiever of a soul so there's lots of themes that I'm pushing concurrently in this life. And I think it's po- possibly true for other people. But um, I I have, you know, kind of been thinking, you know, I didn't realize what it means. So, for example, one of the things that I've been pushing is like choosing to be here. Right. So choosing to be alive on this earth, given what earth is and what life is. Right. For me, life is hard. Right. I, I'm not going to speak for other people because maybe there are people who have easy lives. And it's true that as souls, sometimes we come in to experience joy. Sometimes we come in to have ease because we've had such a hard life. And guys, I better have a fucking good life next year. Next year being next lifetime because yo, this lifetime, we did it, right? I'm always laughing with Alina Fe. She's um, one of my closest friends. Uh, because we talk about all these soul issues in like really deep ways and we're always like girl our souls like we were definitely up there in heaven like having not a fucking clue about what we're signing up for when we made a plan for what we're going to work on in this life thank god we found each other though because life would be exponentially hard if i didn't have someone like her who intimately understands what i'm going through with my language the other person who understands me really well is ida like we can have these conversations so seamlessly and it's just really amazing thank god for these women in my life um and so one of the things that i know that i came to work on because it presented so early in my life is choosing to be alive right because i was suicidal um in my early teens is it early teens it is early teens it was like around early-ish mid-teens, 14, 15, uh, for about a year and a half is when it was like really deep and that's when it first presented. But the interesting thing and, and the unfortunate thing about suicide is that in my experience certainly, it is not something that you get over, right? You don't you don't kind of like overcome suicide and then you're done with it, right? You're like, whew, we chose to live so now we're here and then you can just kind of like rest in aliveness and rest in the choice to be here. I thought that that's what it was. And I thought that I had kind of like overcome this hurdle around choosing to be alive. Now, more than I ever have in my life, I feel like I have overcome that hurdle. But because I know what life is like, I probably have just deepened into the choice to be here. And there's probably something that's going to come up for me in the future that will make me question whether I want to be here or not, right? Because you can call it a disposition. You can call it chemistry in my brain. Science tries to come up with ways to explain this stuff. You can call it depressiveness. You can call it complex PTSD. I mean, I've been diagnosed with all those things, right? And I've had all these things happen to me in life that have led to the challenge with being here, right? And um, I think I thought that I would overcome suicide, suicide, suicidality, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, 
all the different permutations of that word um, by choosing to be alive, right? And choosing not to die when I was 16 and, you know, found myself, oh, we're no longer in the darkness of those feelings in the valley of the shadow of death. We're on the other side of the valley or, you know, we're up the mountain. <laughs> so whew, we've chosen to be here. We're safe. And no, because at different points in my life, I've experienced the same feelings of darkness. Um, again, where I've said, oh, it is so hard to be here. Why? Right. I'm clearly not built for this life. Why? Right. Um, there is a trick that people have that I don't have. I don't have that key or that cheat code. So I'm giving up. Right. Or this is too hard. I don't have the energy. I don't have the will. I don't have the fortitude. I give up it's become too hard. My muscles are tired or I get to a place where I'm just so tired, right? I've been thugging it out through life for so long. I'm tired. So each time I've had a suicidal period, it has been driven by different things. And each one has, has it had a different flavor. So not just, and the flavor is not the same as being, diff, being driven by different things. The flavor is more of what is the state of my mind in that place? It's not a static thing. It's not like when you're feeling suicidal, then your brain state will always feel the same in each iteration. Like each time it's like, sometimes there's a different level of um, despondency or ability to possibly claw through it. Um, the duration of it is different. And I don't know how to explain this, but almost like the density of the darkness or the color of the darkness. It just feels different. And I think one thing that I've noticed has shifted for me is the more time I have spent getting to know myself, the easier it has become for me to navigate those periods. And when I say easier, it doesn't mean it's easy. It's still phenomenally hard, but it's less hard than it was. Each episode since I started going to therapy, doing my work, um, growing, understanding the arc of my soul I have had more tools at my disposal to contextualize how I'm feeling so that I'm better able to stay right I, I and um, not just to context so the different tools one of the tools is contextualizing how I'm feeling Two, contextualizing this moment as part of a bigger pool of moments of which this is just one right so um, avoiding all or nothing thinking Things like um, deepening into pleasure practices during those seasons. Like I love being outside. I love going for walks. I love eating out at great restaurants. I love doing my makeup and looking pretty in a cute outfit and seeing my friends and laughing. And like, I don't want to leave the house, but whenever I do, I have a good time. So finding pockets of light, right? And deliberately creating those for myself. Um, journaling, right? Reaching out to my therapist and, and flagging that, okay, we're in the deep right now. I need support. And then my therapist rallies, right? She makes herself available for last minute conversations because we're in save a life mode, right? And I think also understanding that I've been here before and I got through it. So there is the possibility that I could get through it this time. Although that doesn't help me that much. I have to be that honest. I have to be honest. <laughs> Because each time it feels it's a different flavor and um, a different driver that's making me want to give up. And the give up is a give up feeling. So who gives a fuck about what happened last time? Today, we don't want to do this anymore. You know, so that one doesn't help me as much. But something that has also been coming in is um, having awareness that 
you know, this is one of the lessons that I'm learning in this life. I'm learning to stay, right? The interesting thing is that I got a tattoo in 2019, I think it was, when I went to the US. I have scratches on my body. Where have these scratches come from? Anyway, um, I was in the US and I got a tattoo of a cross with a dot um, at, at the the joint, you know, where the... Oh, guys... You see, this is how I know I'm in the thicks. I'm, I'm having a mild eczema-like reaction. And I get eczema reactions when I'm really stressed. So I'm psychologically stressed right now. I'm not like work stressed. It's just, whew, you, as you listen to more of this episode, you'll understand why I'm feeling this way. So I got this tattoo. It's a cross with the dot. And the cross was God and Jesus. And I was the dot. And I got this in 2019 because I was like, just a reminder to keep coming back to God, to keep coming back to Jesus, right? Because I would kind of like fade away, blah, 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 and then be like, ooh, life is hot away from Jesus and then run back to Jesus, right? Because this was before I had actually started doing real work on myself, right? Um, I was still living a, a little bit unrealistically. So this tattoo was to remind me to stay. But what's so powerful about it is that it is transcendent. The cross is now beyond what Jesus is. It's about staying with me. It's about staying in life. It's about staying tethered in this reality. Like the dot is always, it feels like there's a gravitational force field pulling me down into the center of this, the, the, the cross, right? Where the two lines meet. And that's just grounding me. And this is partly if you listen to the episode where I talk about the nature of consciousness um, I think I in that episode I spoke about being from a different planet that is a non-material planet. So there's always a risk to, of me kind of like floating away, right? And so there are so many things that as I learn more and more about myself, I start understanding how spiritual and how much of a soul reminder this tattoo was for me. But, you know, I'm shaping for you a little bit like this experience that I've had with suicide. Evidently, this is what the episode is going to be about. I thought I was going to talk about a different angle, but it's going to be about suicide, right? And um, I'm not talking about the cause of the suicide. I'm talking about the experience of suicide, right? And and so what's really challenging about suicide is that um, you think... You, you, you Okay, when you're feeling suicidal... You're like on the precipice, right? You, 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 you've, I've realized in life because I have now had more than one suicidal episode or moment. Um, the first time I realized this was terrifying because then I felt like I was constantly on the brink of death. Like I realized that I basically live my life at the edge of a cliff. And I don't realize that I'm on the edge of the cliff when I'm cool. Right? And I can be cool for years, right? There's been a long period of time between my last suicidal moment and now. So I've been cool for years. And then all of a sudden, when the confluence of experiences come together and tip you over, I wake up and I realize I'm hanging on to the cliff's edge by my fingernails. I, I don't even have a rope. There's no parachute. There's, there's nothing for my feet to grip, Right? There is literally just my nails, not even the fingertips. The nails are embedded into the ground, holding me up, right? And it becomes save a life, right? But like until that moment, 
I didn't just suddenly find myself on the on like over the cliff, right? I've been possibly slowly, slowly, slowly inching, inching, inching towards that cliff face, and then I tip over, right? And the whole point of life or, or of those moments is to claw my way back up onto the surface of the cliff. I am no longer under any illusions that I can relocate away from a cliff. <laughs> that is not available to me in this lifetime. And I am in a place where I am choosing to deeply accept life. No matter how nuts and give up soundy or how, how much it sounds like you're giving up or how um, terrifying a truth can be, I've decided that I am no longer going to run away from the truth, whatever that truth is. And so I have had to face the fact that I live on the edge of a cliff. I don't live inland. I don't. And these cliffs, it's a sharp drop to, I don't know what's at the bottom. It feels to me like it's just jagged rocks. (laughs) And so, you know, what I am doing when I'm not on the side of the cliff hanging on by my nails is... I'm living in this delicate balance of solid ground. And that solid ground is created by my mindset, right? And by my experiences. So I have to be very careful and thoughtful about what am I believing about life? What am I engaging in on a daily basis that's either supporting me to, to you know, um, have a good life? right? Or a better life or not supporting me, right? There are certain practices that I have to be careful about because if I'm not careful about them, I will be inching towards the cliff's edge. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm living in an obsession with my suicide, with my suicidality or my tendency towards suicidal thoughts, right? And I don't like calling it suicidal thoughts. I don't like calling it suicidal tendencies. I don't Because the fact is, for me certainly, whenever I'm in one of those periods, it feels like I can die, right? Like, it doesn't feel like I'm playing around with the idea of killing myself. No, it is, I do not want to be here. Fuck this shit. And it's very different to, fuck this shit, life is hard, I hate adulting, right? This is the sentiment that says, bye, right? And so I am learning that all of the tools that I've learned in therapy, the biggest of which is, you know, those somatic self-support, you know, um, being really, really present in life, being aware and awake, those are all critical to uh, me becoming robust enough to stay alive. Number two has been actually healing, actually doing the work to be a fuller person so that I'm better capable of facing life, right? And it doesn't feel like it's crumpling me like a piece of paper. Number three, there is something about um, loving myself and loving life and feeling worthy of being here that has also been a huge, a huge lever, right? The more that I have found things in me to love and felt worthy of being alive, felt worthy of belonging here, of being loved, of being helped, of being pulled into other people's lives. Uh, The more I felt like I matter, the more I have been able to stay here, right? Because 
then I feel like I have a place in this world. Whereas before, then anything can tip you out of this world if you don't feel belonging, right? And you don't have anything kind of anchoring you in. And community, both with yourself as well as with life, which is like bigger bigger thing, bigger than you and other people, as well as community with other people, all of those things are anchors. So it's so important to have those things in my life if I want to kind of stay here. And having those things has helped me in huge ways. And I think the last piece has been feeling like I have agency, right? Like I, I get to create a life, I get to choose a life. And I, and at the same time, knowing that so much about this life is really beyond my will and beyond my immediate agency. So it's this weird thing of having to hold the balance between those two truths. And so um, what does that mean? It means that I am aware that I'm constantly opting into life. I think this is a privileged place to be. I'm really grateful that I have the awareness that life is a thing you choose to be in. There are people who come into this life who never have to think about, do I want to be here or not? There's almost this implicit subconscious choice to be alive and be on earth and engage with life. I don't have that. I, I, I don't. I've had to deliberately say, do I choose to be here every single day? I'm, I am, and I shouldn't say every single day, but I am very frequently aware that I am exercising my agency in being here. And that means the awareness of the proximity of death is something that I just live with very intimately. And so I do not take it for granted when I am, you know, secure enough in myself and in this life to, to want to be here, right? And, and to be able to, the strength it takes to muscle yourself up a cliff every single time is like phenomenal. And I love that I have that strength and resilience. And I love that I am deliberately opting into life. I am not living here with my eyes closed. Because if I closed my eyes and I, and I just let life carry me along wherever it wanted to take me, I wouldn't be here, right? And so I know what it means to be choosing life. Because I choose it in a very, very visceral, intimate, extreme way because of my story and my past and my disposition and my orientation towards this life, right? Now, um, what I am finding, and, and I think, so I've, I've spoken about, you know, the nature of being a suicide survivor. That's what I call myself because what it feels like when you're in that darkness is like, when you make it out, you survived because you were very close to not making it. You don't understand. It's not like this thing where I'm like willfully saying, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to go. You, you are clawing on, right? Hanging on for dear life. There was a night in December <laughs> when I was in the depths of my dark's, dark night of the soul where um, I, I called an emergency meeting with my therapist. Okay, I'm back. Um, I had said my therapist's name by mistake. And so I had to go edit it out. <laughs> so I called my therapist and I was like, hun, um, I need an emergency session because last night I was afraid of falling asleep because I was convinced that if I fell asleep, given the way that I was feeling, I could possibly not wake up the next day. Like I was terrified of sleeping because I was so deep. I had nothing like guys, 
nothing. This is after three and a half years of therapy, very intense work. I do a lot of spiritual work. I do all the meditation, all the visualizations, that are everything, guys. I do all the work that I do, right? And it's not like, and so this is the thing that I have to bust, the myth I have to bust about suicide is that it's not like certain people are inherently weak, right? And, and incapable, which is what I used to believe about myself. That's not true at all. It is just what it is, right? And 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 I think I'm an, an amazing, wise, incredible woman, and this is something I live with, right? And I had to get to the zero point. And not even the zero point, but the minus zero point. The minus one or whatever it is point. Because at that point is the place of surrender where there's nothing, there's nowhere else to go, right? You have to fully bottom out. And that bottom out place is terrifying. And I had been resisting getting to the bottom out place for so long. And and my therapist just said, well, what if you just let go? And I was like, what? But if I do that, I'll die, right? That's the only thing that's been keeping me alive all these years is my tenacious will to live. Like, that is the only thing keeping me here. If I don't have that, then what is there? Like, I will not make it. My soul will extinguish itself while I'm sleeping. You know, people die in their sleep and no one can ever explain why. I was convinced that that was going to happen to me. And she was like, she had to actually like go in and commune with my spirit guides and be like, okay, is this going to be her death point? And they were like, no, she doesn't need to worry. She can sleep. But her advice to me was still just completely let go because part of the thing that I am also here learning about life is surrender, right? Being autonomous, sovereign, and, and I don't want to say in control, but like, with agency and self and independent, right? And self-supporting in life. That has been a big thing that I've been here choosing to do. And at the same time, surrendering to the limits of what you can do. Because there is a vastness beyond you that is beyond your control. So you exercise your agency to the limits of your agency and then you just have to let go. Right? And and so that was part of it, right? So I had to let go. So what I'm trying to say here is that um, when you're in the depths of the darkness, it is a death. To me, it, it feels like a death because you, you feel like you're on death's door. So I always feel like a survivor. I will always feel like a suicide survivor and I'll always call myself a suicide survivor. And so the thing about being a suicide survivor is that you are keenly aware that you're opting into life. You're keenly aware that you're living on the precipice. And that precipice, you know, people will talk about the precipice of a good thing. For me, it's a cliff (laughs) with a dead drop, right, on the other side of it. And so I'm aware of that. And so I navigate my life with great, great care, right? And um, one of the things that has been, because I have suicidality in my story, I know that a big lesson that I'm also learning is like staying, right? Staying here, staying alive, staying present, especially when I have such a keen awareness. The longer I live and the more I do the soul work, the the more I learn about the nature of the eternal soul, the more I'm aware that this is a game, right? This is a whole simulation, but it's it's also a very realistic game, but it's designed for us to learn, to grow, etc., and we have deep experiences while we're here. Now, the key thing is knowing that, yet still choosing to put yourself through that, right? And that is the tough thing that I'm facing right now, where it's just like, fuck, right? Like, I have many years ahead of me. I, I, it's, it's part of the, the journey. 
I don't have the answers to why we do this, right? It doesn't help me very much, actually. It makes me more likely to check out of life when I try to get to the bottom of, well, why are we doing the simulation anyway, right? Why is, Earth, why is the universe creating these offshoots of itself just to go and lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, grow, 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 mature, mature, and then when it's done, as, as a soul, it leaves and kind of each with each lifetime is integrating more and more. I mean, we're always part of the whole, but we, but we almost, we start looking more and more and more like the whole, right? Versus when we are in infancy. And it's like, what's the point? I, I still don't have the answer, right? It doesn't help me when I try and get to the bottom of that answer because it feels more and more pointless. And you can see, you guys, I'll tell you for free, King Solomon, that guy was a depressive guy. He said the things I'm saying right now. What is the point of life? It doesn't make sense. Ecclesiastes, right? And he was also incredibly wise and incredibly rich and incredibly loved, quote unquote, loved by God, right? Um, and so these aren't, these are things that are the reality. And what I found has become more and more challenging for me the longer I'm alive is that the more I commit to truth, and knowing the truth and facing the truth, the harder it is for me to stay alive, right? Because I think you, you, start, you start being unable to escape life. I have to say that as hard as the suicidal moments in my teens were, right? I saved myself into a fantasy, right? I, I pulled myself out of suicidality, the suicide moment, suicidal moment, and like projected myself into a fantasy. And I was like, there is a man in this world who is going to come and save me and make my life make sense because Disney, right? So it was very convenient. So I was here looking for my Disney prints, my Hollywood prints, my rom-com prints. I read all the Harlequin novels, the Mills and Boone. Guys, especially the year that I nearly failed out of, of high school. And this is the thing that you know, the only people who know this are really like my parents, maybe, and my teachers, because they were getting my report card. Like, I was never going to fail, fail, but fail by my standards. And I ended up overcorrect. I was so terrified of failing because I, I, I woke up out of this bubble of suicidality because I was suicidal for like a year and a half, which is a really protracted time, you know, to not be okay. And I had zero resources. Um, and woke up to find myself failing school because I'd been sitting in, you know, my classes reading Mills and Boone all day. And so, of course, right, my, my life was starting to tailspin and then found deep focus in academics because I was like, I will not fail. It was a very convenient place for me to go nestle myself and give myself purpose. So I gave myself purpose through academic and what became then career achievement and into the quest for a partner who would come and save my life, right? And there was this almost, and the third piece was Christianity. And these three in combination just became little bubbles that I went and I lived in, and I did not engage with the reality of life, right? When things were happening, I would go pray, I would tithe, I would seed, I would open the Bible, I would like speak in tongues, I would go to the conference, right? And, and like, the, the, the things that are spoken about there, yeah, there's some wisdom and some advice shared, but a lot of the solutioning is about praying and fasting and like pressing into your faith, right? Are you believing enough? Are you praying enough? 
and and like are you close enough to god are you intimate enough with god all this stuff right was like and it's very very unrealistic and and i dare i say immature right because it is not engaging with reality no one is there saying look at yourself right what are you bringing to the situation? What do you believe about world? Is the world is, is what you believe truth. And it's not saying just replace whatever you think you believe with this, with this crystalline belief that the Bible is handing to you in 1 Timothy 3 verse X, right? No, right? It, it is, that's what Christianity is doing. But the reality is you have to go and look at yourself. And you have to look at life and say, this is the world I live in. So one of the hardest things for me about, um, and, and the greatest gifts of no longer being suicidal is that I am now living in reality and reality is shit. It is both a shit thing and an amazing thing. The world and life is both, right? <laughs> it's both hard and really beautiful. There is so much joy and wonder. And I mean, I can sit here and look at my garden. That's why I choose to record in the sunroom because the vista that I get to witness when I'm sitting here is the pool and I can hear the birds and I can feel the wind blowing my wooden windows and doors and I can see leaves rustling and I can see little birds coming down and drinking the chlorinated water because they don't want the water. <laughs> <laughs> in the bird baths but I, I can see nature and I'm transfixed it's gorgeous right I can have I've just come from a really nice meal with my mom and we had great conversation and she was telling me about the guy she was dating when she met my dad and why she chose not to be with him and to be with my dad and it was such an interesting fascinating story and I bonded with her and we feel closer and it was really really nice and at the same time, I've come to my house and I know that I'm in the thicks right now because I am needing to like level up in my ability to live life. The thing about, I just have to say it. I'm trying to like make it a, a sentence, but like, guys, I was sleepwalking earlier in my life. And I don't know if any of you guys can relate with this when we don't have skills right? When we don't get, when we're not raised by emotionally available, emotionally mature parents for reasons that are sometimes within and without their control. And we're raised in a society that is also emotionally unavailable and emotionally underdeveloped. We become emotionally underdeveloped and um, psychologically underdeveloped. So our maturity level with dealing with the reality of life can be literally at the level of infancy because we've had no parents around us who, or caregivers, or if you went to boarding school, your boarding mistresses and the, and the heads of house and prefect, etc., they all became, and the teachers, they were all your caregivers. And so whatever their level of maturity was, is the level of maturity you will have. And then if we go and we, you know, insert ourselves into churches that are similarly emotionally underdeveloped, you can be very spiritually developed and emotionally infant and an emotional infant, the two can be true at the same time. If that happens, guys, you've been living your life without the tools to handle real life. So what a lot of us end up doing is we dissociate, right? For me, I sought to escape through suicide because I was like, I, I, I just, every time it felt like the reality of life was starting to hit me, I was like, ooh, can't do this. This is too hard. Oh my God, I don't have the skills. And for sure, I didn't have the skills. So I'm like, peace, I'm leaving, right? 
then when I wasn't choosing suicide, I was on this huge quest for a partner, right? Then if I wasn't doing that, I was completely embedded in, in this quest for social prestige, financial security, a big, shiny, illustrious career and my dreams. I was chasing my dreams, right? And those are very, very nice places to hide away from the abject reality of how hard life is, of how hard it is to navigate conflict and have difficult conversations, how hard it is to actually really deeply accept someone because you have to really look at someone and say, they're not going to change. Will I still love them? To do the same with yourself, right? To be able to look within and see all of your bullshit and say, Tenji, you and your bullshit, there's no way I can go to escape your bullshit, right? I am incapable of changing your bullshit except in this little, little incremental way. So the same way that a sculptor sculpts a, you know, an, a, a statue, right? There's this big hulk of stone and they slowly, 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 slowly chip at it. We're going to be chipping at ourselves for our whole lives. But I don't, I think there are some pieces that we're like chipping away because they're wrong thinking, but they're actually, the majority of it isn't really chipping. So that's why I don't fully like that analogy. But like, we're just working with ourselves. But it's this long, long process, right? And so that means throughout that process, you have to sit with the reality of the fact that you are something that you don't fully like right now. But that's what you have. You don't have another person. There is nowhere else to go. This is where you are, right? There is no other life. There's no life in which you don't have to make impossible choices, between your values, when your values clash with each other and you have to sacrifice one and live with the discomfort of it, right? And, and the fallout, because you're choosing, you're electing for another value, right? The fact that we have to somehow find a way to build um, understanding in a world that is so polarizing, at a time that is so polarizing, find a way of having depth and authenticity in a world that has become so aesthetically motivated and all about appearances, right, in many ways. And there's so much about navigating this life that's very, very hard. And if we haven't been trained or taught how to do these things, how to manage our emotions, how to listen to our nervous system when our nervous system is telling us something isn't safe, instead of just barreling ahead and saying, I am team um, grit, right? And I am team resilience. And that is not healthy, right? Sometimes you actually need to, actually all the time, you have to be listening to your body. And when your body says no, it's a no. Who cares what your mind says? Your body says no, your body is sovereign, not your mind, right? We're living so intellectually, right? But we're spiritual, you know, body conscious. Like we have consciousness in so many aspects of ourselves. Listen to the previous episode if you want to deep dive that. And so we're in this life that is a hard life to live, right? And the only, the only solution, the only path to growth and healing in this life is the truth. We have to sit and open our eyes. And actually say, yo, 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 life is not what I thought it was. That's what led me to my dark night of the soul. Because the thing about suicidality is that it is also an escape. You know, I was talking about how we escape into suicide. We also escape into food, into alcohol, into sex, into relationships, into travel, into non-commitment. We escape into so many things, into family, our children, anything that is pulling you away from the abject reality of your life right, is sometimes a form of escapism. And the whole point is to live awake and to look and be like, yo, okay, guys, this is the life we're in. This is the life we're in. Okay. 
this is very hard. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. And then we go get help from therapy. We read books. We go on retreats. We do spiritual work. We do meditation. For me, it's taken a combination of many different modalities for me to get the support that I need to grow and learn the skills that I need because the skills for living don't live in one domain. And that's why I encourage people to be as open-minded as they can be because then they will be as resourced as they can be, right? And have access to all the avenues of support that the world brings to help us to figure out how do we do this life. The fascinating thing is that we come into life kind of wanting to wing it. And we wing it when we're young because we don't understand that. And then we realize that, oh, there might be a manual somewhere. And then it's like choosing not to read the manual. And then you underutilize your smart TV. Imagine having a smart TV and you only ever use it on satellite TV because you have no clue of all the other capabilities it has. So you never discover Hulu and you never discover Netflix (laughs) because you're here watching Mnet. Because maybe that's the level of sophistication that you've been exposed to, but you don't even know the capabilities of your TV because what? You refuse to open the manual. It's not cool to, to be ignorant. It actually is not cool. It's quite dumb. It's quite dumb is what I'm trying to say. And when I say dumb, I include myself in that, right? Because I was like that when I was younger. But the reason that a lot of people fight therapy is not because they think it's, it's useless and they don't think it works. I think beneath a lot of those feelings is fear. Because we have a visceral awareness that if we go there, we can't go back. Once your eyes are open, you can't close them. So if you become aware of something, you then have to choose to ignore it or choose to stay broken or choose to remain in your victim consciousness because your victim consciousness is way more comfortable than an empowered consciousness, right? So one of the hardest things for me about navigating suicide survival is Believing that I'm strong and capable enough to face life in life's reality and to hold the complexity of what it means to be alive. Believing that in me, I have enough baseline skills that I can stack upon new tools and abilities and learnings and and awarenesses and insights that make me capable of living. Having a mindset that can hold both the brutal reality of what life is, right? If you look at what's been, what happened with the Ukraine or what's happening with Palestine and, and Israel right now, the Ukraine and Russia, if you look at genocide, and, and I've, I'm part of a legacy of a tribe that went and exterminated people that they didn't like because they wanted power, right? I'm Shana and we did that to Ndebeles. We did an ethnic cleansing thing. We just couldn't get that far with it. But literally people were going into schools being like, what are you? What language do you speak? I know the corner of your house, the, the corner of the street you live in. I know those people on the belly, so I'm here to kill you. Like it's senseless. We have to somehow live in the brutality of the reality of life and hold a sense of hopefulness and idealism and hold an awareness of the other side of the reality, which is beauty and joy and happy relationships and travel and exploration and delicious food and wine and alcohol that is fun without getting lost in it, right? Like, and sex that is delicious and pleasure-filling and enlivening that isn't sex addiction or sexual abuse or these misuses of beautiful things, right? Somehow we have to find a way to be here. And I think that's the thing that I'm grappling with in a big way because I've come out of this dark night of the soul and now I actually have to engage with life. And I'm realizing that on the other side of this dark night, right, of this existential crisis where I had to say, well, what does life mean and who is Te? 
and and deciding deciding that tear is capable of life is not the same as actually experiencing my capability so the, the the little nexus of the moment that i'm in right now is i'm having to work so hard on changing my mind about things i believed about myself when i was like 14 and 13 and 26 now that I'm 39 and I'm aware that I've done all this work on myself, I'm aware of what I believe and know and understand about the world. I'm aware of what my human, human design is. I'm a manifester. That means I was literally built for this life. I was built for a life of initiation, a life of deep sovereignty and exercising my agency and creating things um, out of thin air and having joy and vitality for life. I was created for all of that stuff. But I did not believe I was when I was younger. And I couldn't see the evidence of it because of the lens through which I was looking at life. And because I had put on these road, it wasn't even rose-colored sunglasses. I was just escaping. Because I have to say also, in the same breath as I was saying, as I was like in this fantasy land of the pursuit of a partner, a career, um, spirituality, right? I would... That, that's one of the illusions that I was living within, right? The second illusion I was living within, in, within is that life is just hard and impossible and it's a terrible place. And I was refusing to see life's beauty and its joy, right? So the first illusion was being determined to make life only beautiful, right? And I was going to find all the beauty and perfection and amazingness through these three pursuits. And then when I'd be deeply suicidal and wanting to check out and like unwilling to do work on myself and all that stuff, the deep, deep work, right? I was trying with what I knew, but I hadn't come to the resources that I have here. And I was embedded in a religion that was kind of keeping my eyes closed. Um, I was stuck in the how hard life was, right? And how impossible life was. And like, it's a trick and it's a sham. And why are we even here, right? We're, we're, here, to, we're here being set up to fail, right? And that's what I truly, truly believed. And, and I believed I had no agency, etc. And now where I am is trying to live with the truth, right? That is outside of those illusions, the veil lifting and living with both of those realities. And so how do I live as an awake person? That is the big question that is landing on me right now. And it feels as big as the existential crisis because I don't know how to do this. And I'm going to be very honest with you guys. I don't know how to live as this hugely awake person, right? Where I say, well, my endowment of life, and even as I say this, I'm feeling hot and lightheaded and, and my, my head is like expanding and my chest is like, thudding, my, my heart is thudding in my chest because I feel very insecure and nervous that I'm saying this out loud on this platform because I'm admitting as this, as much as I'm this huge powerhouse and wonder of a woman, right? That I feel like I'm trying to learn how to live right now. I'm trying to learn how to live in the full starkness of the reality of life without running away from it, right? And without trying to oversimplify what life is so that it's easier for me to be able to live in it, right? I'm trying to like live as my type. And this is the thing about human design is that I really encourage you to go to it. I might record a follow-up episode where I talk about my human design. Um, but human design is so powerful because we're all designed differently and it uses birth data. So it completely bypasses your mind. And it just says, what was the encoding into your DNA about how your energy moves and how you optimize yourself in this world and attract aligned experiences for yourself and live in alignment with who you are and who I am as Tenji Moyana. I'm part of a, a grouping 
that is 9% of the global population, we are manifestors. And my endowment in very simple terms, well, when you look at my human design chart, I am endowed with agency and independence, the ability to create things out of thin air, a deep joy of life, a knowledge of how to live as me, right? And, and a calling and an ability to inspire others to live as themselves when I truly live as me. And to speak insights and wisdom that help people find understanding and wisdom for their own lives in a way that transforms them. A thirst for change and adventure and the ability to adapt to different situations and put myself into like different spaces and thrive in those spaces on and on and on, right? There's all the stuff in my human design chart. Now, some of those things I've been doing unconsciously and I love it because I look at my life and I see when, I, when I've unconsciously lived as me. And now that I'm awake and aware, I want to more consciously live as me. And now that I'm trying to consciously live as me, I'm like, oh my God, that's terrifying. Like I have to go out and create things out of nowhere. What if people hate it, right? I have to go out there and like be a person who um, creates things out of thin air, right? How do I find the creative energy? I don't have an endowment to go and work, work, work like a workhorse. I've lived my whole life like I'm a workhorse. How do I even... How do I choose? How do I find opportunities that aren't workhorse-like, right? And that's the stuff that's hard, and that's what it means to live awake. And so what's interesting for me is that, to bring this back to something I said at the beginning of the episode, is that I definitely thought that when I'd get to a place of, oh, I'm choosing to be alive, and each time there's this thing that I'm learning, and then the work is done, and the, and the drama and the fear and the intensity that makes me not want to be here is over, you don't realize that you can come out on the other side and have no fucking clue what you're doing (laughs) and have to almost go all the way back to the drawing board and say, how do I do this thing? Right? Because what I'm understanding is that before the premise of surviving, right? Surviving those suicidal moments was about getting to the other side where it would be a a nice place to be. Right? Now, what I understand is that No, you're not saving yourself into a different life. You're, I almost now need to, if I'm not choosing to be alive in in this awareness, I'm saving myself into a different way of living. And I'm like, well, what are the skills? What are the skills of living awake and staying awake? What are the skills of living as me? Because the, one of the biggest reasons that I ended up suicidal was because I wasn't being myself. I didn't feel empowered to be myself. I was in an environment that was terrifying for me. I was a victim of sexual abuse I, and, and like repressed sexual abuse, right? And emotional abuse and like ah, emotional neglect. And there were so many things. And I, and I thought that that was the story. And if I healed those things, if I heal you know, what sexual abuse did to me and the complex PTSD as the result of all of these things, I would now be a healed person and then I would be able to just glide into a life that felt easeful and calm and okay. But that's not what happens. You heal and then you have to learn to be who you were that those events took you away from. The the, the healing is a pull back into yourself to say now those pieces we lost and this is why one of those you know modalities i've done is you know shaman- shamanic soul retrieval 
And in a, in a family work where you kind of, you know, reintegrate parts of yourself into this greater whole that is your internal family. You, and um, all of it has been about let's bring ourselves back into ourselves so we become a reintegrated whole. Now, it doesn't mean that every part of you will ever fully come back to you in this lifetime. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen, right? Um, but at a soul level, when we die, we do have energetic experiences in soul world that reintegrate our soul parts into ourselves. But part of the things that don't fully get resolved in this life are, what are the things that we then work on in the next life. So it's all okay, right? We shouldn't stress about that. We should just work with what we have available at the time, right? And what has presented itself in the moment that you're in. And when you're saving yourself and choosing to be alive, you're drawing all these parts of yourself back to yourself. The healing work we're doing, I'm talking about suicide, but suicide is just one way in which I was coping with all the things that happened to me and reacting and responding to the things that happened to me, but other people respond in different ways, right? And so for you, if you're listening, like what I'm trying to say is that if you've been doing work on yourself like I have, what I'm starting to understand is that each thing that we do each modality we do, each healing event that feels like it's taking place and bringing us integration, it's just bringing us back into ourselves. That's the integration. It's pulling us back into a sense of integrity. Integrity means that we are one, right? You're now one thing, right? And you're an integer, right? Which is one indivisible, you know, entity. And when you become this indivisible entity, it becomes, how do I take all of this into the world with me? The things that I forgot and that I got cut off from, how do, I, how do I move through them now? How do I move through that aspect of independence and full agency? How do I move through the part of me that has a low energy reservoir, right? And, and let it be okay for myself, despite the scars I incurred in life when I got tired and burnt out, right? How do I, through the healing of accepting what led to the wounding, right? And who I am beneath that wounding when I've cleared away, you know, the, the burn or the burn has healed and there's some Scottish and I'm looking and I'm saying, what is it made of? How do I live as that thing? And living as those parts of ourselves, guys, I, I'm learning. I feel like I'm learning myself all over again and saying, if there is a me that was a me before some of these really key traumas in my life, or that a me that is at the heart of, you know, what this trauma pulled me away from, right? Or made me distrust in myself, or made me unable to access within myself. Now that I can access that thing, how do I use it? That's what I'm facing right now. How do I use these parts of myself? How do I live as these parts of myself? And it's hard and it's terrifying and it's a little bit overwhelming, but I'm here, right? And, and I'm, I'm doing it and I'm just going to do it one little thing at a time. And um, I'm going to try not to be overwhelmed because it feels very overwhelming because, you know, me, I love to bite off everything in one big bite. But I think that that is the point of surviving. The point of surviving and the point of healing is to return to you. Marianne, Marianne Williamson kind of talks about this in her book, which is called A Return to Love, A Reflection on A Course in Miracles. And that book, ooh, I, I'm feeling emotional intensity just thinking about the book because um, it is a beautiful, powerful 
work of truth. And it's spiritual truth. So read it. It's such a great resource. So anyway, like she talks about that and she talks about how you're not serving the world by hiding your light. And she talks about how, you know, um, when we start becoming aware, it's like you are always a lamp and now your lamp is plugged in. And there's something happening in me where I need to kind of, it's partly I need to passively let the electricity flow through my circuitry and come and light up my light bulb. And then I also need to like intentionally work with my light so I amplify my light and decide, do I want to be a lamp? Right? Or do I want to not have a lampshade so that my lamp can shine brighter? What color is, is this? Because that's where I have to remove all the layers of conditioning of, you know, not truth and not, not me, right? And not self and, and misunderstandings and all of that stuff so that I can really like get to the pure light and the pure light can get to shine out through me. Okay. So... If anyone listening is feeling suicidal or has contemplated suicide, um, I am not a suicide expert, but I will send you hugs. Like if you send me a message and you just want a hug, all I can offer you is a hug and commiseration because I have been there, right? But I cannot save you. Like go to therapy, reach out to a suicide hotline if this is something that you've been battling with. There are so many resources for us. Don't just pray. In my opinion, praying is not enough. Um, but trust in more than yourself, right? So do take action to pull yourself into survival, right? And believe and trust in the bigger thing and hope in the bigger thing in life that wants you here, your soul that wanted to choose life, your soul that decided to come here and have a life because of the things it wanted and the things it wanted to grow in. Sometimes I do feel like I'm being hijacked by my soul because I'm like, fuck, I have to do this because this is what my soul wanted. But that's just my mind separating itself from my soul. We're all one, right? We're all here because we wanted to be here. My soul, my body, my spirit, my mind, all of us opted in right? So just remember there's a part of you that opted in and get the support that you need so that you can return to the awareness of that and get the skills to be able to keep yourself on the other side of the cliff. All right. I love you. I'm sending you so much love. And I mean it when I say that I love you because I love all of us. I love all of us who are doing this work. I love all of us who are having a hard time. We're all one, right? Your survival is my survival. My survival is your survival. We are all the same thing. And so just know that I'm rooting for you and sending you so much love and light and virtual hugs as you experience what you're experiencing. You came for a reason and you deserve to be here and you're capable of being here. Trust yourself. All right, guys, this is it. Wish me luck. I'm going into the Hunger Games of construction work for two weeks and the Hunger Games of figuring out how to live as me because (laughs) it's a lot, but I can do it. See you next time.